Welcome to The Square, your podcast from the Iowa League of Cities, bringing you current and important topics from around the state to your town square with our hosts, Mickey Shields, the Director of Membership Services, and Katie Wheeler, the League's Business Relations Coordinator. Our hosts bring you topics that matter to your town square. Katie Wheeler, what are you doing in here? Just in here with you, Mickey. (laughs) Someone told me you're our new co-host. That's what Mickey told me. (laughs) That's me. Interesting. Yes. <laughs> well, it's good. In the case uh, you guys couldn't figure out already, uh, we do have a new co-host, uh, Katie Wheeler. And Katie, why don't you t- t- tell the folks a little bit about yourselves? I know you were just interviewed on our last episode, but what do you do for the league? And Yeah, I am the business relations coordinator mm-hmm. for the league. Um, we're gearing up for conference, so we've been busy getting people registered for the exhibit hall. And I also do work on city, a lot with Cityscape magazines, mm-hmm. so... You're Plugging also kind away. of our ideas person, maybe, I would say. Maybe good, bad, or indifferent ideas. I mean, ideas. I, I didn't put any judgment on it. That's true. That's true. <laughs> All good ideas, of course. So, yeah, we're excited to have you. Katie's, uh, if you've met her, you know she's a very fun, engaging person. And I think you're gonna, that's going to come through on all of the podcast episodes, right? That's a guarantee. Whew, no pressure. <laughs> no pressure whatsoever. Uh, so what's going on at the League? We have a few uh, events coming up here in June. We have the Small City Workshops. It'll be the first three weeks of June, uh, six locations around the state. Many of you listeners have probably attended those workshops in the past. If not, though, that's something that we do for our smaller cities uh, to try to touch on some topics that are important to them. This year, we'll be focusing on housing and trying to find ways or help cities find ways to do housing development in their communities. And that's really everything under the sun. Uh, New housing stock, of course, new single-family homes, but also things like redevelopment, rehabilitation of older housing stock, multifamily housing, anything that a community needs, the workshops will try to address that and give cities some options and some tools to potentially work with to get housing done in their community. It's something that's become really critical all across the state, especially in our smaller communities. So those, again, begin in June, and registration is open now, so you can get registered uh, right away, and we'll see you out there. Yeah, we also have the league's golf and bags tournament coming up. It's on June 14th at Otter Creek in Ankeny. This is a really fun event. It's for a really good cause. The money goes to the Tim Shields Endowment. Mickey, do you want to share what that's about? Yes, that was a, is an endowment named after my father who worked in uh, local government for many years and it's meant to provide funding for local government education. So one of the ways that's been done over the years is it's helped uh, provide funding to the Iowa Municipal Management Institute, IMMI, uh, which is something that a lot of city managers attend each year. Uh, and it's also going to support our leadership seminar at the annual conference, uh, the league's annual conference, uh, something we put on as part of our conference each year to help uh, provide city officials some leadership development training. So it's something that uh, it's a lot of fun. It's great networking. And this year we're adding a bags tournament. So if you are a lousy golfer or a frustrated golfer like, like myself. Like me. I'm not <laughs> like a golfer. A anyone who golfs, basically. You can do bags, and the whole day will start at noon. Yeah, the golf tournament does, and then uh, bags starts bags at, at two thirty. Yep. yep. And, and again, uh, we'll have a lot of league staff out there. We're looking forward to meeting a lot of people, and uh, just having a, a day that's a little bit more relaxing and a lot more fun than maybe your typical day at City Hall. So yep, and raising money for a good cause. That's right. And Mickey mentioned it. The Tim Shields money this year is going to go to the leadership summit at conference, which is on Wednesday, which is going to be a great event, which our um, annual conference and exhibit registration is 
opening on June 3rd. It's going to be a great event. We have lots of fun things planned. Tons there's, of workshops. Yes, there's lots of really great workshops. Those are all getting nailed down now. You mm-hmm. can check out our website, www.iowaleague.org, to see all of the full workshop schedule. In the June Cityscape magazine, the delegate brochure will be in there. So that'll have information about the events. A couple of things we're adding this year, just real quick. We're doing a kayak tour. We've never done this before, but our host city, Dubuque, uh, has a connection. They can do a kayak tour along a creek there that I I think is going to be really interesting. Mm -hmm. I think Katie's going to be on that tour. No, (laughs) I don't think so. I'll be busy in the exhibit hall. (laughs) I would love to, though. (laughs) But uh, there's a few other events, too. Like uh, We're doing some walking tours, uh, some mobile workshops to get you out around the community. We'll have our normal set of in-house workshops, so to speak, on everything under the sun for city city government training. And then one of the best features about the conference is all the networking. There's several different session, general sessions and meals and our awards banquet, presence reception that bring everybody together in a relaxed environment where we can all kind of share our stories and hopefully find ways uh, to connect and improve what we're doing locally. Yeah, we look forward to seeing everyone in Dubuque. Yeah, so another bit of news that uh, you probably all have heard is that the legislative session wrapped up. One thing that we'll say right off the bat is keep your eyes open for the new laws of interest special report that comes out sometime after the legislative session each year that kind of runs down all of the different laws that are important to city government. Uh, So keep your eyes open for that. We also have a couple of gentlemen, fine gentlemen, here to uh, join us on this episode to kind of give a rundown of what happened this year in the legislature. And that is Robert Palmer and Daniel Stalder from the league. Gentlemen, how are you doing? Thanks for having us, Mickey. We're doing good. Great. Welcome. So many of you probably met Robert and Daniel, but they really lead up uh, our legislative affairs and the government affairs office at the league here. They do all sorts of stuff throughout the year, but of course, one of the biggest things they do is advocate for our association of cities at the Capitol during legislative session. It's a really difficult challenge uh, for any group as such as ours, as big as it is, uh, but they do a wonderful job, and uh, you know we're happy to have you guys. So one thing that we have right off the bat we want to ask you is, have you two caught up on, caught up on your sleep yet? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I have a little bit, uh, but the sleep that I've caught up on has been uh, consumed by a 14-month-old who, who <laughs> loves to wake up early. Uh, more importantly, from my perspective, is, is some of the stress level that comes with the speed and the rapid pace the legislation can move has gone away, and the text messages and calls have slowed down just enough that I can actually uh, set my phone down a little bit. So that's nice. And I have no 14-month at home, so I, I did get caught up pretty quickly. That's good to hear. It's good to guys have you guys back in the office a little bit, too, and remember like, you know what you look like <laughs> it's nice to be around friendly faces yeah exactly some smiles and everything yeah yeah i can imagine so our, our listeners may not fully know what your days can be like during legislative session you know you're inside the capitol and you're talking to legislators and others obviously up there that work with the legislators so kind of walk your walk the listeners through your your role at the capitol and, and meeting with those folks and advocating for cities and working on proposed legislation and so forth. Yeah. Uh, You know, Daniel, let's just kind of go back and forth on this. I think uh, one of the interesting parts about our day from my perspective that I've always enjoyed is the inconsistency. We never know exactly what will happen uh, throughout the day. Uh, And so it it makes it exciting and there's always something new to work on. So generally speaking, we start out the day uh, reviewing legislation that may have been filed the day previously um, or that may have some action taking place that day. 
Then you kind of get in, try and understand what the pace of the day looks like, how many meetings are scheduled. Those are often scheduled 24 hours in advance or sometimes less, so you kind of have to try and keep up with those. Um, and then certainly attending whatever meetings, speaking at subcommittees, monitoring committees, and meeting with legislators and membership. I think the one important thing is that we get there very early in the morning. Um, you try to get there before anyone has had the chance to get behind on their schedule, and 8 a.m. is usually too late to do that. So we get there at 7 a.m. when uh, everyone's bright and fresh. So what time are you getting there? <laughs> yeah. I can ask. I'd go back again and say every day is a little bit different. <laughs> there were days where I was at the Capitol before 6 a.m. this year, and then there were days where nothing was occurring oh until 10 a.m. that maybe we didn't get there until 7.30 or 8. It, we really, you know, part of the legislative session is adapting to the pace and whatever yeah. could come up. Every, you know, every legislative session is a little bit different. Every day during the legislative session is a little bit different. Um, there's a lot of unpredictability. Everything from what legislation may be filed all the way till when is the legislative session going to end. And so you really just have to adapt and um, adjust as needed. What do you guys eat? Lunch. <laughs> or eating uh, at home. On the days that we do eat lunch, <laughs> yeah. uh, it could be at the Capitol, which uh, hy V is the cafeteria this past session. Let's hope they stay around because the food supply was consistent <laughs> uh, and the quality of food was good. Uh, but, you know, we also are sitting in downtown Des Moines, so if there's a, a enough of a break, it's pretty easy to walk to a, a close restaurant if there's time for it. And there's always lots of groups in the Capitol that are more than happy to provide you free cookies and punch. So uh, plenty of those in our diet as well for those three months. Yeah, so a very healthy three months worth or four, yeah. whatever, four months worth of eating. Yeah, yeah, in addition to adapting the legislation, determining where the free food is is also a very important <laughs> aspect of working in the Capitol. We had a really long winter. Does the Capitol have snow days? <laughs> uh, you know, generally speaking, no. The, the Capitol complex is what would have to be closed down by DAS. Um, I think in my time I've seen that done one time for extreme ice that occurred. But generally speaking, when legislators have come in, and it kind of depends on where you're at in the week, but if they have come in on a Monday and they are here in Des Moines, if the weather gets bad, they still want to work. They don't want to sit in a hotel room or the apartment they may be renting. So we're going to be in the Capitol. That was something that was contemplated this past session, uh, but Governor Reynolds made the determination that unless very severe weather, weather arose, that, that the Capitol complex would remain open. And so even though we had quite a bit of snow this this legislative session, uh, the session continued on, and, and I think, I don't remember if uh, any meetings were actually canceled. I don't think they were. Um, no, not this year. I think the, really the big weather. weather was actually the really cold. It was negative mm. 20 degrees at, I think, 10 a.m. one day, and so uh, you just got to get inside quickly, apparently. <laughs> yeah, it actually makes it easier to go to work on those days. <laughs> I bet, running in there. Yeah. You want to get into the building as fast as you can and not have to leave. Yeah. Okay, this may be a tough one, but how would you characterize this year's session on the whole? You know, we've talked a little bit about how we would do this, and I think one of the things that would be important to note is that you know, there are some groups or businesses that can come to the Capitol and they have a very narrow set of priorities or a narrow set of priority areas. And so it's easier for them to identify this was a good session or a bad session or we had a win or a loss. You know, cities are involved in such a wide policy area. We, we could be in anything from economic development to taxation to employment law. And, and so that makes it so that interpreting how a legislative session went for cities is a much uh, broader analysis and, and in some ways more complicated. So, you know, I think what I would say is that if we looked at some of, you know, oftentimes our membership will look at what didn't pass rather than what did. So what didn't pass this legislative session? There were no bills that impacted tax increment finance. 
The backfill is still in place. It was not impacted. Um, and on a bill that did pass that has a large impact on our membership, which is the property tax legislation, there are no hard caps in that legislation. So there is no restraint on the revenues that cities need. Um, there's certainly some other provisions which add difficulties to cities, but is not as bad as it could have been. Yeah, I agree. And this was my first uh, session with the league, so it's hard for me to gauge, you know, what it could have been or what it, what, what, what it should have been. But uh, I think overall it was a pretty productive session. I think we're going to take a short break, if you guys don't mind. And uh, when we get back, we'll hear more from Robert and Daniel on the league's legislative efforts. Welcome back. It's exciting to hear from Robert and Daniel. They are both very passionate about city they government. Sure it's fun to hear from them. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break and do the your questions answered. Every month you can send in questions um, that you may have to the square at iowaleague.org or you can leave us a voicemail and we will get your question. This month we had a question from city council member Bergen with the city of Decorah. I'm interested in hearing how local governments can enact specific policies to support gender equality in our city commissions and councils, both appointed and elected positions. Iowa requires gender balance in appointments to municipal commissions, committees, boards, and councils. However, this is not enforced. What action can city officials take to create a more equitable government? First of all, it is a great topic and a great question from uh, Councilmember Bergen and Decorah. And there's no real simple way to answer this. I will start from the state code perspective. The state law was passed in 2009, and it's in Section 69.16a, where this is covered. And it does require cities to try to do gender balance on their city-appointed boards and commissions. Now, don't confuse that that with your city elected offices, your city council members and mayors, because that's still an elective office and the, the citizens have every right to choose anyone who's eligible and running for office. So that's different. But with your appointed boards and commissions, the, the state code does require a city to achieve gender balance. However, it does not, as the council member said, that it, it's not really enforced because the state code doesn't really make it a strict requirement. It says a city must make a good faith effort to attempt to achieve balance. So what does that mean? It means you have to try, uh, I think the state code provides 90 days, to get to the number that you need to have balance on any particular board. How can you do that as a city? There's many different ways. Definitely try to publicize any openings. Uh, one thing that we say with all your boards and commissions, have a schedule of all the members, the seats, the term lengths, so you have a good idea of when a board seat may come open on a regular schedule. And then you also have of people that need to quit and resign their seat, so you have vacancies that occur throughout. So you just need to be prepared uh, as a city for when a, a seat comes open, how are we going to get this seat filled? And part of that question, of course, is just basic a basic question, of, do we need a certain gender to achieve balance? And that helps lead you then in your efforts to recruit certain types of folks from your community to come out and serve on a particular board or commission. Some policies a city may want to do, that's totally up to each city, but you can enact a tougher policy. You can, as a city, adopt a policy or a city code that says we will achieve balance, that's it that you're not, you don't leave yourself any wiggle room like the state code does. You could do that as a city, uh, but you may find it difficult to achieve. Uh, I would recommend putting a lot of focus on recruitment. How can we get different parts of our community to serve? Uh, men, women, folks of uh, different backgrounds, different uh, cultures, ethnicities, everything. It, you want your boards and commissions to reflect your citizenry. 
you want those folks to be making up all of your community so you can try to get every voice heard. Uh, so it, it's not easy. Don't get me wrong. It's definitely not easy, but you have to uh, engage your community in every way possible. Social media, uh, put it on a city website, hold neighborhood association meetings, uh, hold town hall meetings, try to get people out. And through those connections, you get more people typically, uh, more people willing to serve. One other thing that too that we need to mention here is a new idea that's being formed out of the Iowa Department of Human Rights uh, it, that is called the Talent Bank, Iowa Talent Bank. And it's something that is in large part help, uh, being designed to help local governments find people willing to serve. So the main concept is that any interested citizen could basically register with the talent bank and then cities could utilize that when they're looking for people to fill out their boards and commissions and other groups. So that's something that's in the works. Uh, we're going to have some information on that once it's more ready for uh, to be published. So keep an eye on, on that for uh, here in the coming months. But I think it's a good opportunity for cities that sometimes struggle to know exactly, well, how can we get people interested or who is out there that's interested? This talent bank may be a way to find those people uh, in your community. One other thing, too, is uh, there's several resources that uh, not only the Iowa Department of Human Rights, but also the Iowa Commission on uh, Women's Status has that help provide guidance on this whole uh, law of the gender equity, as well as some recruitment steps and tips to, to make your efforts better. So check those out. We have them linked on our website. Uh, we have a boards and commissions page on our in our member resources area. So definitely check that out. Those are good resources for you all to use when you're trying to fill out your boards and commissions. What a great question. Yeah, it's a great question. A mm -hmm. very long answer, that but is. there is a, a lot of ground one. to cover there. So I think we're going to jump back into our interview now with uh, Robert and Daniel. So one thing, too, that we wanted to, you guys to touch on is that now that the dust has settled, what are some of the key bills that came out of this session that cities should be aware of? Great question. I'll start by just mentioning, you mentioned it earlier, new laws of interest, which we release every year after the legislative session, uh, should be released the week of the 27th. We are on track to do that. The reason we choose that date is after the legislative session concludes, the governor has a 30-day veto period on legislation. So there could still be action taken on legislation after the legislative session, and we wouldn't want to put information out there to our members that then change, um, that they might not notice the change after the fact. So that should be out uh, the week of the 27th. I'll mention kind of two bills that will be included in that, that uh, broader document that cities should really pay attention to. One is the property tax bill. SF-634 is what that would be called now. And the other is the elections bill, which is HF-692, which contains some changes for the dates that cities can go to referendum. Um, so you'll want to pay close attention to those. Any others, Daniel, that uh, you think are, you know, something to stand out a little bit more than run-of-the-mill stuff? Yeah, so I mean, we, as Robert mentioned earlier in the podcast, that we, we deal with hundreds of bills a day with issues that span from tax incremental financing to employment laws to uh, gender discrimination. And so there really isn't a single bill that comes to my mind other than those two that, that we worked on. How many Go bills, ahead. honestly, like this is all one of those things where like, how many bills, any, do you guys ever track how many that you really have to like, Oh, take a look at? Yeah, so there were over 160 bills that passed this legislation, legislative session. Um, hundreds of bills were filed. It's difficult to say exactly how many because a bill can change so many times throughout the right. process. So, 
you know, there's probably a podcast with a much longer, hey, how a bill becomes law. We wouldn't do it nearly as well as Schoolhouse Rock did. Oh, um, but, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> but it may need to be redone and updated in the current political climate. Uh, but the idea is that legislation gets filed as a, uh, a study bill of one version. So it may be HSB1. Then that bill would have a subcommittee. It would go through committee. It would come out HF you know, House File 20, it then may go on again and, and go through another committee and get yet another bill number. And so the same piece of legislation, and we often call bill numbers vehicles, because that's the vehicle for a concept to make it through the legislative process. That same concept could have five or more legislative bill numbers associated with it. So if you were to look at our registration, we may actually have registered on the same concept multiple times because of the numbers that change through the process, if that complicated answer makes any sense. Sure. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's one of those, those legislative numbers, the bill numbers are always, they're still very confusing to me. So I, I imagine, you know, I don't, I don't know how you guys keep track of all that, the different amendments that even on top of all of that, so. And I can't wait for the Schoolhouse Rock video. Well, yeah, we've been <laughs> promised, I think. Well, you just found out you're producing it, so oh. you may now have some hesitation. Uh, sounds like something that would be a good uh, off-season project for you guys. Spe yeah. Speaking of which, uh, well, what, is, what, you know, what does that look like now that we're session has closed and for this year, of course, but there's always another one. And so what do you guys have planned for the off-season? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of stuff we do during the interim, and Daniel has some stuff I'm sure he'll kind of mention. Um, one thing I'll quickly mention about the last topic, but connected to this, is we've started going around talking to our members about why we register and how we register. And we mainly focus that conversation on, you know, what do these registrations of for, against, or undecided on legislation mean? But that's also a time where we try and talk our members through this process and, and how a bill changes and why we may be registered on it one way at a certain point. So it's certainly a topic that if members have questions about, um, reach out to us. We're trying to find ways to convey that better that provides value uh, to members. Back to during the interim. I know uh, Daniel's got a lot planned on his plate. Um, you know, we kind of do a little bit of different things, but generally uh, the things we'll be doing uh, at the same time will be uh, developing our legislative priorities, hosting our legislative policy committee meetings to hear from them, meeting with legislators to kind of determine where we think the next legislative session may go. Yeah, so my job as the outreach coordinator is actually to get to know our cities uh, and communities and the people that run them. And it's hard to, to learn about these people and the communities they represent uh, while sitting in an office in Des Moines. And so um, I'll be hitting the road uh, later uh, in June. Uh, I have trips to Allison, Charles City. Um, I'll be uh, up in the northeast corner quite a bit, going to Dubuque, Anamosa, Monticello, uh, and really any community at all that wants to share their story with the legislature. You know, Robert and I are up at the Capitol every day during session, uh, but legislators don't want to hear from us. They want to hear from the people that they represent and the people who represent uh, individuals in their community as well. And so getting out and learning a, m as much about uh, your community as possible is really important to us. Yeah, and I know you guys have already done a handful of these, but you also do some legislative recaps for our various regional leagues and uh, city clerk groups, city manager groups, folks like that. So I think that's also part of the gig, too, is that you, somebody wants to have you come out and present to them or at least just sit down and chat. You guys are probably willing to do that, right? It's a great opportunity for us to go out and convey to members about what occurred during the legislative session, but also for us to hear from members uh, about 
one, what problems they're facing so that we know how to approach things in the, in the next legislative session, but also to get feedback on legislation. Because anybody who's watched the legislative process knows that just because a bill passed this year doesn't mean the conversation is necessarily over. And so it's an opportunity for us to say, hey, this is what passed, this is what the bill does, and then oftentimes here are the impacts so that we can take those back to legislators if there are changes that need to be made or to make sure that that is at least conceptualized if they ever go to work on legislation in that same area again. Right. Well, hey, thanks, you, thanks to both of you for coming in to join us on the, the square, and really thanks for all your hard work. It's often a thankless job, and I know it's tough, uh, those long hours and long days in the Capitol, and uh, sometimes it's, uh, you know, you're fighting and fighting and fighting, trying to defend what's important for cities, and uh, we thank you for it, and I know our association thanks you for it. Well, thanks for having us, and, and we truly enjoy doing it and serving the membership. Thank you. All right. Well, we're going to take another break here, and we'll come back with our Get to Know Your League uh, segment with Kim Gannon. We are back with the Get to Know Your League interview with Kim Gannon. Welcome, Kim. Hi. Hi. I'm really excited for this, by the way. I just wanted to say that real quick. She's great, isn't I know. she? Yep. She's very fun. Yep. Very fun. <laughs> All right. First question. Tell us about yourself. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? I grew up in a very small town in Lawler, Iowa, and lived out in the country and ended up going to school in New Hampton, which, you know, usually took about 28, it's about 28 miles to get to town. Holy cow. The Chickasaws? Wow. Yes, the Chickasaws. Yeah. Go Chickasaws. <laughs> They're awesome. So you grew up on like a farm? Yes, or I did. The, you did. Huh? I, I did sure not did. know that. I, did, I thought I knew you were small town. I knew Lawler, but did I didn't you have animals? Was a farm, yeah. We had horses for a while, and then after that, we did have uh, crops, and then my parents decided to rent that off. So we still have done a huge acre, the pond, and everything. So it was wow. great. That's awesome. Right up my alley. Yeah. yeah. Tough girls from farmland. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> So when you're not in the office, where can you be found? Well, I'm usually doing a lot of projects at home. And if you don't find me at home, I'm out with friends and at the racetrack. Nice. A fun fact about Kim, she is super crafty. We have had little competitions in the office, like decorating your pumpkin. Hers is like something Martha Stewart would do. (laughs) (laughs) She (laughs) is super crafty. Well, thank you. Where does that come from? Is that just... My dad. Natural talent. Oh, your dad. Your dad. Mm -hmm. My dad taught me at an early age all about woodworking. No kidding. Yep. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. Aren't you doing some kind of home improvement project right now? Yeah, we're doing a lot of stuff to the house. (laughs) A lot of stuff to the house. Yeah, always fun. Yeah, I'm Mm -hmm. sure it looks awesome. Yeah, another little crafty project's going on for friends, so it's always, I'm always busy. Where does, like, where do you go for the races? Anywhere around here or just? We go to Knoxville for the sprint cars which um, go Brian Brown. And then we got um, Boone okay. Speedway, and we have a cousin that races there, and then also my nephew races there and wow. friends. Yep. No kidding. Yep, that's fun. Yeah. yeah, it is. So this is one that's always, I, I, I enjoy, because you get some different answers, but what is the best career advice you've ever received? Well, on that one, everybody always told me to find my passion, take risks, and then Overcome all your goals that you have. Sure. Awesome. <laughs> what, what do you do at the league? 
We yeah, never we probably really, should have said that We never really said we that. We need to move that. that. Yeah, well, we need to ask that first. I handle workers' compensation claims for IMWCA, and that, that's pretty much my job. I deal with injured workers and mm -hmm. the employers. Okay, how long have you been here? Oh, almost 18 years. Over 18 years. Oh, my goodness. Wow. wow. Long time. Yeah. And what's your favorite part about working at the league? Other than working with us. Well, and Ryan. That is the number one thing. <laughs> working with the coworkers, you guys are all awesome. Um, otherwise, I guess I would say the members. You get to know other people, and you get to see their achievements, but also their struggles that they have. Mm -hmm. And try to help them mm -hmm. find some solutions to those. Correct. Yeah. And if we can't help them, then I find somebody that does. <laughs> That's true. Which is goes back to Mickey. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so it usually does wind its way back to membership <laughs> services somehow, but yes, that's, why we, that's why we exist. So, right. Yeah. Now, Kim can usually be seen at our annual conference because I think you enjoy that a little bit too. I do. You? you get to, as much as that we're on the phone, we never really get to see anybody in person. So at right. the annual conference, you actually get to meet in, in person and mm -hmm. get to see a face, which is always great. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks for joining the podcast, the, the Square. You did a really good job. Thank yes, you. it was great to get to know you a little yeah. more. Well, thank you. All right. Thanks, Kim. Thanks, Kim. All right. We're going to move into the trivia section. Let's see. Last month's question was, what state has the most disc golf courses per capita? And we are actually going to ask Ryan, our trivia expert, to come in and answer this question. Not only does is he a trivia expert, he also is a disc golf course expert. Expert. <laughs> I, I, Stress, I, stressing I, the expert. I kind of feel like you're going a little far with <laughs> no, the expert no, part. No, it's a thing. Uh, it's you a thing should see my scores, sure. and then we'll, you know, we'll talk about expert. Um, Aren't you designing a course? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, well, I'm hiring someone uh, to design okay, a course. Okay. <laughs> Anyone that has discs at their desk is an expert, that's in my true. opinion. Okay, that's so fair. you're an expert. <laughs> you know, I, I, okay, I'll take that. <laughs> the answer to our question is, of course, Iowa. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, that's the way it goes. We rank 30th with, in population size in right. the country, and we rank as the highest as it comes to density per person per golf course. That's amazing. And in Iowa, we have um, 6.4 courses per 100,000 people. We also have 18.21, which I'm not sure how you do a 0.21 people yeah. <laughs> per 100,000 people are part of the PDGA, which is um, the governing organization for disc golf. Wow. Yeah. Just the other day, I was out driving uh, to a, an event, uh, to a meeting, and noticed a couple disc golf courses right off the highway. And they just blend in perfectly with city parks. It's, I think it's a natural partnership, a natural amenity for cities to, to offer its residents. And they're fairly cheap to put in some baskets and design a course and maintain, you know, just mow it on a fair, pretty regular basis. But otherwise, it's, you know, you don't, like a traditional golf course, you have greens that need a lot of maintenance, tee boxes that need a lot of maintenance. Um, with your disc golf, it's, there's still some maintenance needed, but it's a little bit simpler than that. And yeah, I think that's it, why it's part, partly why it's such an attractive option. It's just mowing and trimming usually. And usually a full 18-hole course with, with design can go in for around $20,000. And mm -hmm. when you're talking about money from a city, that's pretty, pretty small, Absolutely. to be honest. Yeah. Well, as somebody who grew up playing Sugar Bottom in Iowa City, Turkey Creek, 
you know, Corville, you know, those areas. That's brilliant just, uh, courses. Love, lovely courses. Had some, a lot of good times. I would never say I was a good player, but still had a lot of fun. And that's just one of those things. It's one of those sports like you don't have to be great. You can play nine holes or 18 holes really quickly, and you can actually do it twice. You know, it doesn't take yeah. much to play them, and it's just it's easy and fun. Yep, and, you know, it actually is a fun sport to teach your kids. We've been, we've been running through a couple of uh, juniors tournaments here lately. There's been two started here in Des Moines, and it seems like more and more and more are cropping up. Yep. Cool. Well, I played when I was younger, but we played like old school where you just throw it and have to hit a tree <laughs> or like throw it and like you have to throw it over this, yeah. you know, this creek. And and that's, <laughs> how, that's how I started yes, you know, yeah. in, in junior high where they had yep. they did the whole thing with the Frisbee and, yeah. the, and the trees were marked out. Yeah. Yeah. It's come so far. Well, the other thing, too, that's hap- happening and Ryan could probably speak more about this is like uh, traditional golf courses opening themselves up for Mm-hmm. disc golf they put baskets within fairways or in, in places yeah, well, like that disc golf will use all those pieces of the golf course that golfers won't use right. like we want to use your woods on the edge we want to be tucked in back in in the edge and yeah you're right there's a lot of a lot more golf courses that are looking to add more you know income into their courses sure. so adding a disc adding a disc golf course can really add something to it yeah it's pretty cool a lot of good opportunities out there all right well for the this episode's trivia, we're going to put Ryan on the spot again next month when we answer this, but it is, what city is home to the American Gothic House Center, which was the inspiration for Grant Wood's famous painting? So t- tune in next month, Ooh. and we'll have an answer for that, and I'll give you a hint. It's in Iowa. <laughs> Good hint. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really narrowed it down. <laughs> so, as always, stay up to t- uh, date with our League Weekly e-newsletter that Katie puts out every Tuesday. Uh, Follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And then always send in your questions and comments, trivia answers to the square at iowaleague.org. Yeah, and we look forward to seeing everyone at Small City Workshops and the Golf and Bags Tournament in June. Sounds good.